Hello and welcome to the creatively titled Basketball Show, episode two. So we're still very much in the early stages of Ball in Europe's creatively titled show, which is, well, the CTBS. And yeah, it's been great. Great reaction to episode one. Thank you all for listening. And now the pressure's on for us to keep delivering more episodes. And we are already going out of order because we want to actually make sure we're somewhat timely with one tiny part of this episode. So this episode, if you're coming to us couple of weeks late don't worry most of it's still going to be great we just wanted to make sure there's a bit relating to an olympic qualifier that is mentioned right at the back end of all of this uh, that it stays timely and relevant so our piece about going to bamberg and taking in the scenes and sights there back at the start of the, the german finals that's going to be coming out in a week or two's time but this one is very very different and it's a, a fascinating story about a young woman who is a former youth international in basketball who is possibly the most athletic person in terms of uh, multi-sport talent i've ever met and anyone listening to this is likely to meet louise galvin is originally a farmer's daughter from kerry as she uh, will proudly tell you repeatedly during this podcast and she has won everything there is to win in irish women's basketball she has played in croke park an 83,000 seater stadium uh, in front of admittedly not a crowd that was a full house but in the biggest game a woman's player in gaelic football can play the all-ireland final for her county of Kerry and now well she's playing international sevens rugby for Ireland so all of this before the age of 29 not bad and it's been anything but an easy road we're going to hear a lot about that from Louise her personal story around all of this is fascinating because she's seen some stuff she's been through some things which you know some some tough times some hard times and uh, she's come out of it and just really just came out swinging and said, ain't going to let this get in my way. So this to me is about the person much more than the achievement and how Louise has really managed to just keep what you can tell in her voice is possibly the most level and chilled head going throughout. Like she's done all of this and she's all, ah, yeah, sure. I was grand and it's down to the team and all that. But she doesn't say it in the usual annoying sports speak way. Uh, that you we're used to in post-game interviews like she really does go into detail about seeing what it is that makes her work how she operates in team sports and how despite like three very very different sports like uh, i know most of our listeners aren't rugby fans and i know the vast majority aren't uh, gaelic football fans trust me there's enough difference between those two sports purely in field size alone like a rugby field is about 100 meters long and a gaelic football field is 140 so that's a bit longer than a basketball court and uh, the roles as a result very very different so we're going to hear now from louise galvin uh, i met her in dublin a couple of weeks ago and we recorded this interview so we're going to go now to me meeting louise galvin in what is obviously a hotel in terms of the uh, shall we say noise in the background and atmosphere First off, like because people don't know what a sevens rugby player does, uh, if you could describe what your you know your typical day, what, what what happens like you know on a day for you when you're not playing a tournament basically. Okay, so I suppose um, we generally are uh, contracted semi-professionally, so we're part-time professional athletes. Um, we come in around lunchtime every day and go through kind of a musculoskeletal screening. Um, perform it in, in kind of our rehab room just to make sure we haven't picked up any knocks or niggles or strains from previous days training or the weekend um, then we would go to the gym do a gym session uh, twice a week we'd follow this straight up with the skill session 
We take a break and eat. Um, might have a team meeting and then we have a pitch session in the evening. And I'm guessing, given the, the sports play before, and it's a bit of a difference to a typical day before you were doing uh, seventh rugby. Uh, yeah, before this, I would have been working full time. So working as physio in um, the regional hospital in Limerick uh, for the HSE. So I would have worked like 37 and a half hour a week, um, and then tried to kind of get my gym work in in the morning pre-work, and then maybe go do a team training session or a conditioning session afterwards, um, which would quite likely involve travelling as well to Kerry for football. So. Um, it was a lot more uh, time pressured and a lot less probably time for kind of rest and recovery and mobility and kind of the, the bells and whistles that you put on top of the day at the moment. And I can, like, you know, for people who think it's a bonus, be hard to manage sort of, you know, a day job and the sporting life as you were obviously playing elite level sport or two sports, but I'm guessing there must have, been all the, must have also been an adjustment for you going from having a day job and suddenly this is what I do, like was there that period? Yeah, yeah, there actually was, I suppose, um, I moved up just over a year ago, it's been 13 months now, it's the start of May, and um, yeah, there was definitely a period of adjustment initially just to, like, I suppose, in one way, um, what I was used to maybe gym in the morning and training in the evening, was now a gym, kind of a shorter break in training, so I was kind of more fatigued in one way, but then in another way there's a lot more downtime and rest time. And it's important that that is rest time and recovery time. But I kind of felt like a bit of a bum in ways. Um, now I did, you know, start picking up some part-time work, obviously, to supplement living in Dublin. Um, so it was just trying to get into a bit more of um, a newer routine um, and getting used to maybe having that little bit of extra downtime, but using it efficiently as well. And now when you were starting out playing sports as a kid, uh, this wonderful loud back of the house anyway hotel, uh, you probably weren't thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna play like you know in an Ireland in one sport in an All Ireland final in another and win everything in Ireland in a third. Like what was your thinking, you know, sort of as a kid, all your ambitions for um, sports? I suppose as a child, I don't think I really had any particular massive ambitions. I just loved running after a ball, um, and that was it. So football wise, um, there was no girls team home, so I used to just play with boys up until. 14 up until you're allowed to um, and just love doing that and then uh, basketball really kind of took off kind of end of primary school started secondary school and that was my life then and I suppose as you get to 12 13 14 you're more aware of there being international teams and that was the first time I probably really noticed ambition you know that I wanted to um, make the Irish 16 basketball team that's the first time I really kind of set a goal for myself and like, cause your adult life there hasn't really been like a national basketball team as well, of course. No, yeah, I got as soon as I um as captain under eighteen and twenty, and then after in twenties the the women's team program was scrapped, um due to lack of funding. So, unfortunately, that's probably like there's a whole generation nearly lost to basketball at that stage. Um, because certainly it's one of the reasons I probably ended up giving up at the end of the day because there was a bit of a ceiling effect in that we'd won everything nationally with the the Huskies, um, and had a really good run of it. And you know, then I decided, well, I'll have a rugby shot and see what I can get out of that. And like about sort of, you know, how you got into rugby, sort of, you know, how, how just tell that story about how it all came about. Um, well, I'd been playing, I suppose I've been playing basketball in the winters and football in the summers, and they'd been complementing each other. Um, it's kind of stressful when there was an overlap between January and March, kind of April time. Uh, but it was manageable, and I suppose both teams are going pretty well, so um, you're always enjoying it when you're winning. Um, and then I played a lot of tag rugby as well, just purely for the crack um, socially in the summer. Um, even though <laughs> I suppose I don't play much sports socially, but uh, as socially as I can uh, take it. I was going to say, given the level <laughs> you play, do you play social sports? Like, you know, did you yeah, ever? well, <laughs> technically, yeah. Um, 
even a few cinnamons, a few stitches down the rope, but I tried. <laughs> tried to keep uh, keep the lid on it. Um, and then basically I just I was approached by playing rugby and kind of, you know, laughed it off a little bit. Um, and in the end of the day I ended up losing a bet where I had to go and attend one rugby session at Ewell Bowes Club in Anacotti, which are a fantastic club, great club, particularly for new players and really enjoyed it when I went and the rest is kind of history. As was for you, like, you know, you look at sort of the, the road through rugby for you, like, because, you, were you even aware that we had, like, a sevens program when you started playing rugby, like? Uh, I was aware, yeah, yeah, no, I would be quite aware of kind of other sports in Ireland, but, um, I hadn't, and like, I, ha- I was aware that they were kind of running a lot of talent ID uh, days, and, you know, kind of, Caught my eye. I might read up about it, see what's on it. Invariably clashed with the game, um, a basketball or football game, so I didn't really make myself available. I was probably a bit nervous as well that maybe I wouldn't have had the, the skills, but nervous of the failure, um, you know, if I didn't make it. So it's kind of always there in the background, but um, not really pushed in front of me. And so when sort of got to that point, like like this is the part where I feel the awkward part asking that question. Like, what's been sort of your most challenging moment in life? Both in the on and off field things like the depression sort of it's an obvious one like here with an you like but you know sort of because you always have to ask a person doing this interview what the most challenging moment has been in life oh yeah well this was when i was 26 um actually just after i played my first rugby game um i basically my boyfriend passed away from brain hemorrhage so he was actually the one that i'd made the bet that i lost that i had to go and, and play rugby so um yeah that was just crazy horrible time um, and it's probably the first time I really lost kind of all sense of competitiveness all it's the first time that yeah, I just didn't know everyone didn't want to play a sport that I could remember um, we were in the middle of the basketball season and I just had no motivation and come back to play a cup game in early December and I just didn't care I just came back stepped in the court stepped off again and couldn't even go into the change room um, but then come around January Started January, he would have passed away on the 13th of November. Um, I played a game in, I played a game against our rivals, Glanmire, a league game, and sure, I played terribly because I hadn't been training, hadn't been sleeping, hadn't been eating right. Terrible preparation. Well, how would you not have played terribly? Yeah. Like, well, getting out of the court was something in its own right. Like. Yeah, I, I didn't really care. Oh, well, actually, this is the funny thing. At the end of it, I kind of cared, and that was the first time, that was a really kind of a watershed moment, I think, on um, kind of recovering from that um, that event in my life, that like, it was kind of like, I really actually, it kind of rang to me that I hadn't played well and that we'd lost. It was the first time I'd cared about anything, really, in seven weeks. So um, it was like cramming before the leaving search because we had a cup semi-final coming up the following weekend in Neptune against Leicester. And I was in the gym in UL shooting, which is where he would have collapsed as well, because it was all very close to home. Um, I was shooting twice a day, um, yeah, basically trying to get my touch back, trying to get fit. And we won at the weekend um, against Leicester. Actually played all right. Um, they as bad as I thought I might have had a cup final coming up. So in the end, then actually sport kind of became full circle, where it nearly became a drug the opposite way, and it really kind of craved the competitiveness that came with it um like i suppose everyone was treating me very differently because of what had happened um adam would have been brought to and that the would annoyed you as well you yeah exactly like so um working in the hospital limerick and training and using the gym and the gym and ul being my home court um is 
really close to home because that's where Adam would have had collapse in the hospital where he was brought to. So it was like it was like I could deal with it being my workplace and my place of training and my place of recreation. But the fact that kind of everyone knew and you just felt like I was constantly turning like that nearly bothered me more than anything else and just being looked on pitifully constantly. So I actually found when I stepped on the court, it was the first time like people the opposite number they might have been aware of what happened because that's the way I was like basketball wow. in Ireland it's a small community yeah. and sport in Ireland is a small community but it didn't matter they were still trying to strip the ball off me they were still trying to defend me um, they still were trying to stop me from getting to the basket and likewise I'd try and stop them and it was the first sense of normality uh, the only sense of normality in an otherwise completely upside down world so um, I actually ended up really turning to, to sport then and, and craving for the just the reprieve it gave me for an hour or an hour and a half on a daily or every second day basis so um went on playing basketball for the year started back playing football um obviously like life was still ridiculously hard but sport you were in autopilot really mode in many respects yeah just on autopilot exactly and then trying thinking you're doing okay and then you come crash bang falling down like a ton of bricks and then you build yourself back up again but it would have been then the following September that um, you know I suppose I realised Adam was 28 and life was pretty short so the fact that there's no national basketball teams like we kind of won everything and our, our team started to come to an, an end anyway um, I kind of thought well, why don't I because I couldn't manage three sports you know like <laughs> I'd love to but time wise the games were just clashing I said why don't I you know still play football um, with Kerry and give rugby a go because it was a winter sport as well but it meant um, quitting basketball uh, for that season and then that is what's eventually catapulted to me here to the Sandy Mountain Show. And uh, well I was going to say about the, about the football side was, because obviously with, with rugby there was a nice sort of straight trade off of basketball the seasons mm. cross over was it hard to give up football? Yeah really hard um, so it's just being from Kerry just football is life it's everything like growing up like when I it's the, my, the first sport that I loved because it was, it was the one that was I was surrounded by, um, like we have a like a village at home, and there's literally a pub and a grotto and a J pitch, and that's it. Um, in Fnuig. and like I grew up getting up in the morning and watching the Kerry the Golden Years, the video from 1975 to 86 when the, the kind of when basically you beat my guys a lot uh, yeah. yeah we just won all around um, like that was that was instead of turning on the cartoons on Saturday morning was pushing that into the video recorder um, so then I had mentioned I played with the boys until 14 and there was no girls club so I, I played kind of carry under 14's primary game and then basketball took over and then when I was 21 they set up a club at home and I went just to keep fit for football and or for basketball in the winter play but in the summer and that's when I um, got called in with Kerry and then I Jesus that was just a brilliant time and, like, and I still definitely playing all around in Croke Park like. yeah it was probably one of the best and worst days of my life at the one time because um, obviously it's poor performance in the end but to get to run out in Croke Park and all around and finally oh it's just phenomenal um and even like last year was probably you know when I was offered a contract to move up and it was such a massive opportunity just to really try and kind of maximise whatever potential I had in an athlete full stop like it was it was a big risk obviously leaving my job in Limerick my friends leaving my support network leaving where I'd been for the last for the previous 10 or 11 years um, but it was also leaving you know quitting for pole was probably the hardest bit um, I made it back for the all Ireland semi-final but didn't go according to plan and even now I'm still like you know dipping in and out but 
like any sport if you're not on the team you're, you're not on the team when you're, you're outside of it and it has to be that way um, but it is something I definitely um, wouldn't say regret because I made the decision but I miss it yeah 100% I suppose like looking at that because you've had such a very sort of like both academically socially sportingly like you know it's a lot of fun and they're like mm. trying to work out what the best part's been like what's it, when you think of what's my greatest triumph and things I've achieved like and a fairly young age as well like, oh jeez I don't know <laughs> creaky you know these days um like you know people often say like oh god you used to be a great athlete <laughs> to get work across three sports quite well but I would say they're all team sports like I'm always relying on the people around me um so maybe that is a ability to kind of get on with people and get on in, in a team um I think you know, there's always a good saying, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. And I'd probably consider myself more of a hard worker than a talented person. Um, in any of the sports I've played, the finest technique of the skill involved isn't my forte. Like, I'm not, like basketball is probably a better defender than an attack player. Um, but I'm a better carrier of the ball, but I'm, you know, more than likely trying to set up other pe- people. Well, that was what caught me off guard last summer watching you guys in the sevens, because I knew you as a very good sort of defensive player and all that from hoops. And then it's like, oh, she's a ridiculously good downhill runner, basically with the ball. Like I would never thought of you as like a um, straight sprinter. Like was that like sort of interesting yeah. for you to change the the, the you know what oh, you were no, doing? Oh no, I always thought it was relatively quick. Um, <laughs> I didn't say you were slow. But I mean, like you were like freaking zipping there. Like. Oh, that's no, but um. No, I suppose that always, um, it's about playing smart, like in basketball, for example, is such a percentage game, so if you've Rich Clancy, Richard Van Vol, Michelle Fahey around you, like, percentage-wise, I'm not going to outshoot them, so it's a case of, you know, trying to get into a position where you, maybe you're setting them up, or you're trying to draw the players, set a pick, and still, like, I knew I was very much valued in that team, It's it wasn't a team where the top scorer was the most important player, um, so... I don't really have a problem with that and actually it was quite a challenge I loved marking the best players on the other teams and I really kind of enjoyed that side of it more so um, or trying to get turnovers trying to get steals while also being aware that if someone's marking the other girls really well or they're going box one trying to two I am going to get an opportunity to to nail a shot and maybe pick up eight or ten points that could be um, the difference at the end of the day between the games so I still knew what a very important role to play just Maybe to the the lay person looking on, they're just looking at top three scores, but that didn't bother me. I was valued within the squad, and that's the main thing. And uh, given how busy your life is, I find this one an actually awkward one rather than hard one to ask because I don't have got time for it. What was your biggest mistake so far? Would you say? Have you had time um, to worry about mistakes? Like, uh, well, I suppose it's all about kind of reflective practice, really, isn't it? And self-judge learning, like with um, basketball, we would use a lot of ET and with GA as well and really an awful lot of with rugby like we have a, a video analyst with us a lot of the time so you're kind of oh yeah there's just constant mistakes um looking back into my earlier days probably just being a bit stupid not having enough rest and recovery like i'm lucky enough i know i fractured my ankle there in march but otherwise touch wood part of the reason i'm kind of lucky enough to get on so well in sport is that i haven't had um much injuries but kind of looking back, I probably wasn't managing myself as best as possible, trying to maybe burn the candle at both ends and take enough rest and recovery. Um, and then just well, when I look back at games, I see multiple mistakes. Um, like the thing about the sevens, it's been great and it's been kind of, it's been fantastic and to get onto the national squad and to get a contract, to get selected on Travelling 12, to start, like that's been great. But 
we're up against such phenomenal teams like so many, so many more such more experience in us and time together that it's a really steep learning curve and it's a, like a sport where mistakes are punished massively it's like, like there's so much space oh it's just such a it's such a nightmare of a game in terms of what you put your body through like a common term you hear in any sport is like to you know empty the tank leave it all out in the pitch and you have to do that in terms of this if you don't you're just you're going to be completely overrun like whereas you might get away with it in other sports a little bit there's absolutely no let up it's rel- in one word it's relentless and so well, actually, no, the, the, the one here, it's normally next in this sort of list that we'd go through, but it's too obvious to, to, to do now, so we leave it for later. We've got three or four more before that. Nearly done, don't worry, <laughs> Louise. So tell us something people wouldn't know about you. Um, I'm a farmer's daughter from North Kerry, and to work on the farm growing up and milking all the cows and everything, probably up until the end of my college days, maybe. And does milking cows help you sort of you know build build up the muscles like you know for your friends <laughs> roles? Um, I'm not sure if it did. Probably more um, like well again up until March when I unfortunately had that ankle injury. I would have always uh, unlike basketball players in general, I would have had good ankles. And I think part of that is um, running in fields after cows and calves and that and like there'd be pretty lot of holes in the field. You feel your ankle go and come back. So uh, I trained as physio in UL and then did my FIB, my final thesis on um, recurrent ankle sprains of basketball players. And I actually think, yeah, growing up on the farm and chasing cattle on holy fields helped strengthen my ankles because of in all basketball, football, um, rugby that I've played, I've never actually sprained my ankles, which is phenomenal, really, I'm considering the playing jealous. time. Yeah. As, as an ex-American yeah. football player, I know all about ankle sprains, trust yeah. me, and they, they are not fun. Uh, although, well, you've got broken, so probably I can't really complain too yeah. much. What's your most treasured possession? Um, I just think health. And yeah, I know it's you know. No, um, it's a it's a pretty good one. It's a, it's a healthy one to have. Pardon yeah, the pun. There. Phys- physical and mental health probably. Something you have in your life that you could go. Yeah, I could go without that. Something that I have. That you, um, could, you could go. Yeah, I could so you could take a bite of that tomorrow and wouldn't bother you. Oh, TV. Yeah, no. don't watch any TV. Don't. Even there, I like it was seven weeks in cast, and I still didn't manage to watch. Um, like I watch live sport is what the, the only thing you catch me watching, but um, I still didn't manage to watch a series, a film, make it to the cinema. I just yeah, I'm not a TV person. And I want to ask you about sort of you know the girls coming back this summer, this month even like in June, they're off to Gibraltar. Like, are you talking to them at all? The the the, 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 the basketball team. Oh yes, yeah. Sorry. Um, oh. so like sports, we talk. Um, Which is you as a fair question. Yeah, but I haven't known the last few weeks, but I've keeping an eye on on the squad. Um, you got Aoife obviously used to play with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Aoife works at the Sky Sports as well, which um, I started doing this year, kind of as athlete mentor, um, position schools. So I just think it's fantastic, like, and hopefully it'll set up, set down a marker now, and it won't be just. Um, for the next year or two whatever the contract is that'll be ongoing so that kids that are maybe 12, 13, 14 like I was looking up at trying to make a cadet team will see that there is an, you know, a national team a senior national team to aim for and will eventually make for um, higher participation levels and higher quality of sport because I think um, higher quality of basketball players within Ireland I just think it's such a phenomenal sport like a lot of people make the link between GA and rugby and definitely 
my J background has helped me transfer. But I think basketball is a phenomenal foundation sport to have. It's just your hand-eye coordination, your spatial awareness. It's still quite physical, but it's very defined context. So it's very rule-specific, and yeah, I just think it's it's a hugely invaluable sport. Like you could not take it up in adulthood. It's just that technical, but um, yeah, it's very advantageous to be good at, to have played basketball as a child in terms of developing skills in other sports. I think into adulthood. And just thinking of all you've achieved, in, you know, in, in sports and the likes, you know, you've won pretty much every title there is in domestic basketball. You've played in all our final football. Now you've got a chance, like you know, realistically, in a couple of weeks' time, to qualify for an Olympics. Like for you, thinking of where you come from as, a, as an athlete, like what would that mean for you? Yeah, it's just phenomenal. Like um. The, around this time last year I called back to my primary school in Kerry they just asked me to call in and I was chatting to six class students um, there's a guy sitting down in the same class where I sat in when I was 12 years old and he said was this always my dream to be kind of a part time professional athlete um, and I just said no it was, wasn't even remotely on the radar because when I was his age unless you were Michelle Smith or Sonia Sullivan you couldn't be a professional athlete in Ireland you know there was no particularly not in a team sport environment and a female um, so it's just it's actually hugely it's just phenomenal like and it just shows you can't really limit yourselves or you know you do have to take risks um to maybe to achieve more and sometimes the more you risk the more chance there is to gain and look we're going all out to to get that final qualifying spot if we don't there's absolutely no regrets because I put myself in a position where it was possible instead of um instead of not being an opportunity at all so yeah i just think Oh, I'm, just, I'm just laughing like <laughs> I just think uh, it's so it would be so surreal just, just a farmer's daughter out of um, middle of North Kerry could be over in Rio in August it would just be class like it just shows that anyone could do it though if they work hard enough and um, you know, just work hard and take take the chances because they'll come knocking and I suppose that leads me nice to the last one because uh, I know you've been kind of getting a bit of a grilling here how would you like to be remembered <laughs> At the grand um, age of 29, think ahead yeah, to the end geez. of your life. How you from the, to from the first memory to the last one, is it? Um, probably someone who took life seriously when she needed to, but in general had a bit of, bit of crack and a bit of banter with it. And um, someone reliable, trustworthy, and yeah, just made the most of it. And that was Louise Galvin, I think. We can all say that's one of the more interesting stories we're going to meet in basketball. And Louise is playing this weekend, uh, which for those of you who are coming late, is the weekend of the 26th of June 2016. So if you're coming to us late, did Ireland make the Olympics in sevens rugby for women? If they did, well, we had a happy ending. If they didn't, it's not like Louise Galvin's going anywhere. Like She's going to either keep going at sevens rugby, win at that, go to 15s, win at that, or maybe just try and find, you know, a fourth sport. Like, you know, uh, it's, uh, there's, an, there's enough crazy stuff out there for her to give a go. So we'll definitely hear from her again, I'm sure, on this show or else on the site. And uh, with the CTBS just looking ahead, obviously we're hitting the summer season of basketball, but we do have a couple of podcasts in mind. And we are definitely going to be interviewing at least somebody from the Irish in the senior team after the European Small Countries Championships when they all get back. Just about the experiences they had in Gibraltar and Moldova or are going to have now as we're doing that. So that'll be interesting as well because, as Louise mentioned in that podcast, there were no Irish senior teams when she was at her peak, at her prime as a baller. There wasn't that level to go to having been 
on our best possible youth teams. So, you know, that generation, what it's like for those players, including some of Louise's former teammates, to finally get to wear the green jersey, that's going to be interesting. We're also going to have that Bamberg-themed one. Don't worry, Freak City, I will never forget about you. Come on, like the smoke beer alone. And there's at least one Olympic-themed one coming, if not two. We'll see how that goes. There is a small matter of me having another job that isn't the one that pays most of my wages. And that's largely that. A bit of housekeeping regarding ball in Europe itself. We should be producing shortly part five of our long-form series on European basketball civil war. And after part five is done, we are going to set up probably a Patreon or something else just to build around an ebook essentially off that because we'll have about between those five pieces and uh, some additional material I'll keep exclusive for the ebook in terms of uh, analysis and commentary about 13 14,000 words so it's nowhere near enough for a full novel but it's definitely good for a hyper long read on the road and the point of this will be to essentially make us do more work during the year so our goal will be we'll work out what the goals are for the amount raised it'll be very much at the lower end of the spectrum in terms of ebooks just to be clear in terms of cost and well if you go patreon it'll be at your own uh, you know donation limit obviously but the point will be um you know we will want to uh basically get that message out there and sort of you know this is not so that i can get fat and rich i'm already fat and i'll never be rich it's so that we can cover more events so it's either to get more writers working on the site like you know get more articles from them or get you know me or other writers out onto events or basically improve our you know actual in-office equipment so we can well essentially one build an office and two just deliver more content more often to all of you so we're gonna have a look at that we'll get back to you all on that it's not that we're saying no to advertising it's just that we're kind of going well let's reach out to the ball in your community see if you know uh, two books here three books there from all of our readers and listeners kind of get us you know somewhere to like delivering something unique which is what we try and do like you know and as ever we want you all to listen to everybody else so you know i see hoops fix sam needer's got his podcast up and running great job to see that sam and he had a great job there with the Hoops Fix All-Star Classic yet again. Uh, Dave Hine is still churning out those podcasts from Regensburg in Germany. And no no new episodes of the Euroleague Adventures one since our first one, but I'm pretty confident we're going to be hearing again from those guys soon. So great to hear all the European basketball podcast community. And uh, yeah, that's it from me for now. We will uh, be talking to you all again very soon. Thank you.